get fired. All right, so the microphone is now on. Hot. It's, a, it's a hot mic. It's a hot mic. We get closer. <laughs> it is it. a sexy mic. No, I'm going to back away. Free uh, <laughs> two guys. She caught two guys. <laughs> so I got Nicholas Doublefield. Um, I say this at the start of every podcast. Uh, when I first started, I was getting complaints because the people didn't know who I had on. We would just jump in the conversation. And they're like, who is this person? So, Nicholas, who are you? Hi, yes, I'm Nicholas Stubblefield. But first, like, who who the hell complained to you? Where are you getting feedback from, first off? Like, who is giving you feedback on this podcast you the just started? Millions of listeners. The millions of listeners. The millions. They want to know. Yeah, okay. they're like, who is this person? It's driving me nuts. You guys are talking, but I don't know who this person is. Well, I should I should define myself for your millions of listeners who are internationally based, too. Yeah. You, have a, you are a cosmopolitan, sir. <laughs> a man of... A globalist. Uh, I, uh, yeah, so I'm Nicholas... I, I've been, uh, I'm a stand-up comedian, that's how Drew and I met, uh, you and I met, I suppose I can use you in the personal sense. Uh, I started doing comedy almost a year ago, probably February in 2022, and have just stuck with it. Recently moved to Michigan, um, back in August to start a semester of graduate school, and now I'm back for the winter holiday, uh, recording a podcast with <laughs> my dear friend Drew Simon. There we go. Um, <clears throat> I said this before we were recording, but like, you said you started in February, so it's been less than a year. It has been less up. than a year officially, yes. All right. I will say this again. I, there's no one who's been doing comedy for three years or less who I respect more than you. Um, everyone else doing comedy three years or less, for the vast majority of them, suck compared to you. <laughs> like, you were, um, like, it was like July when I was like, geez, he's good. And you'd only been doing it for, I don't know. Several months. Yeah, just a point. few months at that yeah. point. And you're, like, crushing it, like, compared to, like, I, I'm not going to name names, but there's guys I know who've been doing it for like six years, mm -hmm. get mediocre laughs, you follow them and get way more laughs. Um, yeah, you crush it. Dude, I, do you remember, I think you'd maybe you'd only been doing comedy for like a month. And you were doing the I'm horny bit, and yes. we went to Java Junkie. I do. Oh, and... how could I? How you mean uh, Wendy and Ava? I, uh, oh, you I remember re their names? I, of course I remember their names. <laughs> I, I bonded with them. <laughs> There, there was an elderly couple, or uh, there was like three elderly people, right? Two so women. Three elderly people. Yes, it was Ava and her husband. I don't know. We'll call him <laughs> Carl. That seems like an appropriate geriatric name for the situation. So Ava and her dearly betrothed <laughs> Carl, um, and Wendy, who turned out to be her younger sister, which is important for the story because that already got me off on the wrong foot with the three of them. And, oh, should I keep, uh, should I just regale you in the story? Here? Yeah, let's okay, go. It's a well, good story. I'll, I'll go into it. So, it's, uh, it is, it's, it's a five, you get five minutes at this mic. It's a coffee shop, of all places. You know, the kind of place where you go, you want to sit down, enjoy coffee, talk to your friends, and then all of a sudden there's a comedian who's just yelling things at you. Yeah, it's not a place where you're expecting comedy, necessarily. So, it's an interesting mic. You always did well there. Um, and I, I was always nervous to perform there, just because, you know, different crowd, different expectations, and as a new comedian, it's kind of hard to make connections with an audience who's not expecting comedy. Yeah. Like when an improv Broadway, it was easier to make connections with people, because mm -hmm. like, we are here to see stand-up, 
at a coffee shop where you're trying out jokes, where people aren't necessarily listening, it's hard to make those engagements. Well, in the crowd, there was Ava, husband Carl, and Wendy. Ava announced her age as, like, 83, and she was actually there to perform jokes. She performed some jokes. She did really well. She was... Oh, I forgot that she was she very up. pleasant. Yeah, she was very pleasant. just there randomly. I remember that now. They were on a vacation. I think they were from St. George. Wendy was local, her younger sister, uh, and Ava came up to spend some just some time with them. And so then it came to be my turn, and I thought, okay... I'll do my horny bit because it involves... Because it begins with, you know, there's a division between the young generation and the old generation. And I think it's just... I think it's a pain. I think it's an awful thing, this schism between the old and the young. Um, And we need to find some way to bridge uh, this schism. Uh, Because there is is an issue that my generation deals with. Um, And it doesn't matter about your race... Uh, your gender or your creed. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter where you believe. Uh, and then I go into, I am horny all the time. That is that is the one unifying thing of my young 24-year-old Gen Z. Uh, th- this, is, this is what unites us. Because I get sick that the old people, they never really see our problems as legitimate. I'm like, we have legitimate problems. I'm horny all the time. And so that's, that's kind of the premise of the joke. And it's a build-up joke. And then you kind of release with the horny bit. But it involves some rapport with I like involving the audience so I thought oh it would be fun to involve Ava and Wendy here um and the first part I tried to involve them was like okay there's Ava she's like okay you're 83 when I'm kind of building up the joke and saying there's a division between the old and the young people I'm like okay what about you Wendy and Wendy's like guess how old I am I'm like well, fuck no <laughs> <laughs> We're already off to a bad start. And I did the wrong thing, Drew. When you guess somebody's age, you always go low. But I thought, okay, Wendy's 83, and it makes sense that her younger sister would be close to her. So I didn't even consider how old Wendy looked. I just guessed, um, 76. And she looked at me horrified and said, I'm 67. (laughs) So obviously, okay, so there's a big difference. I was off to a bad start. But after I said, I'm horny all the time, I do a few things, um, what I like to do is I like to look at older people in the audience and ask if they're horny too, (laughs) if they experience the same things I do. And so I looked at Ava, 83 years old, with her husband Carl, uh, and I go, what about you, Ava? Are you horny? And she goes, what? Are you horny? What? Are you horny, Ava? What? Fuck! She can't hear me. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot she was actually deaf. She was actually deaf. Oh, that's so funny. She was very hard of hearing. I remember. <laughs> Which is funnier because later you went on the stage and you asked her something and she answered perfectly. <laughs> I felt I felt so ridiculed as if Ava was just dodging the bullet. Um, but what made it worse is then I immediately switched over to Wendy, who at her spry and crisp age of 68, I was sure she would be able to hear me. So I'm like, what about you, Wendy? You must be horny. Are you horny? And she said, my husband died last year. And then I said, Wendy, that's not what I asked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was great. That was one of the most memorable open mics i remember you set the stage up perfectly because i think i followed you and yeah i i I remember having a good set oh you had a Um, great set because you made fun of me for the first (laughs) half of your set i was i was an easy target who would just harass two older women about their sex lives 
Yeah, and then I like Clayton did a bit about like the troops or something. And oh yeah, some, his, his typical troops some, veteran stuff. There's yeah. some Persian dude in yeah. there. Clayton is another comedian for your millions of listeners <laughs> out there who are frustrated by your lack of. Clayton exposition. was on the first episode. So. Oh okay, so there. If any of the they, they should have been people, on. If they're a real fan, okay, of Let's Get Fired, then they're gonna know who Clayton yeah, is. Yeah, okay. Fake ass fans not knowing who Clayton is. Just tuning in, like your wife Amanda, who will only listen to this episode. Amanda, you're a fake ass fan. <laughs> She's not going to listen to this episode. Guarantee it. Um, well, dude, that was yeah, that was a great experience. I loved that. I'm glad. Um, I I included that. I now you if I ever do the horny bit, I now use that experience. Um, to complete the joke. I'm like, I did that joke once, um, and I thought it would be fun to involve an older pair. Um, and I talk about trying to break through with Ava, and then I tr- and then I switch over to Wendy. And I, I heighten it up a little bit and where I ask Wendy, and she says, oh, my husband died over a year ago. And the audience always goes, ooh. And then I, and then I give it a break, and I say, that's not what I fucking asked. <laughs> And it, uh, it goes well. So those awkward and, uh, and embarrassing situations, I think, can always be used for my... That's how I usually view my life. If something awful happens, I'm like, well, that'll be funny on stage. Dude, I like it when, like, a something happens in stand-up and you can use that, like, the story of it. Yeah. Um, that's only happened to me once, though. Like, really? when I use the story of what happened what to me. What happened? Um, so I have a bit... Have you heard me talk about my autistic brother? Yeah. I, you've seen, heard yeah. me do that bit. The autistic it brother It do is... great in Utah. Okay. I have footage of that bit killing in Washington. That was, like... When I was in Spokane, that was, like, my go-to bit. Yeah. Like, if I wanted a bit that I was like, this will do well 100% of the time, that was it. And this is, that involves when you or your other brother brought home a date who was supposed to be pretty? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I, I did. Uh, and my brother was, like, 10 at the uh-huh. time. And I was, like, 16. Yeah. And my we walk in, and my brother's like, I thought you said you were going out with a cute girl <laughs> right, right in front of her. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it killed. Like, the Washington crowds love this. Yeah, they love it. Okay. And then I talk about how, like, my brother would say awkward stuff like that all the time. Yeah. I try to incorporate a second story. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't do as well. I was saying that one time we were at a restaurant, and this black dude walked in wearing shorts. Yeah. And my brother stood up and pointed and said, basketball. Uh-huh. <laughs> How old was your brother? It was, that actually was me and not my brother. Okay. But I, uh, I say it was my brother for the sake of the joke. My parents said I did that when I was like three or four. Okay. But an audience has an audience is a little bit more forgiving towards an autistic boy than a young Drew yeah, Simon. Yeah, okay. exactly. But... Um, I, I when my parents told me about that story, I was like, mm-hmm. man, I was crushing it when I was three. Yeah. Like, well, and also I was in Spokane, Washington, so this might have been besides basketball on the TV, it might have been the first time I saw a, a black, black person, person in the wild. Uh-huh. Like, I, I never <laughs> out there among. It, is that it, really? Is the demographic of Spokane really just pretty white? Oh, dude, when I when Amanda and I moved here to mm-hmm. Utah, we're like, there's so many non-white people here. Yeah, like we were. <laughs> We were so shocked. In you to Provo? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So that's how that's how white That's Spokane how is. white okay. almost the whole state of Washington. Is that like, way? Yeah, Washington. The Oregon. most diversity they get in like Seattle is like there's a health thriving Asian population. Mm-hmm. Um other than that, all white people. Yeah. Is there a Asians are basically close to white. 
Um, there's one in Spokane, like downtown Spokane, it's okay. Gonzaga. Oh, Gonzaga. That's probably the, the diversity poll then in the city. <laughs> yeah, which I think Gonzaga is like 85% white still. Yeah. Like, if you like watch one of their basketball games on TV and you see the student section, you're like, is that BYU student section? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you get here and you're like, oh wow, BYU is more diverse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is the church's international presence. It's, uh, it's shocking, like, how white spokane is yeah um like the the minority in spokane is like russians okay like White there's russians. like russian churches yeah the I, russian like mafia. i go to the there's a russian mob okay i go to like you go to like the mall there's a russian newspaper mm-hmm. like there's a thriving russian population oh, that's and so beautiful. it was very okay to be racist towards russians yeah growing up did very the russians o- appreciate it or was it just in, in lieu of absence of other minorities, the white majority felt a they, need to oppress. Well, to be fair, they were stealing our cars. Okay. <laughs> and, I mean, maybe it was a stereotype, mm-hmm. but... <laughs> Russians they, steal they, cars. They were, they were responsible for a lot of the crime in Spokane, uh-huh. and that was, like, uh, and I, I might just be, like very racist towards russians because that's how i was raised mm-hmm. even though what they're doing right now in ukraine is pretty sick so you must, um, <laughs> you must have conflicted feelings towards dennis high then <laughs> oh no he's cool we uh okay we, good he's one of the good ones he is one of the good ones. born russian but raised the right way yeah he was raised the right way yeah he was but no like i like in third grade there was a russian kid in my class who like fresh to the u.s like yeah he'd only lived in russia up until this point so his english was like pretty shoddy and uh shoddy. i think that's the word uh yeah if you say that you can't say shoddy but yeah <laughs> shoddy it wasn't good and i was like the only person in our class who like befriended him yeah and like i'd sit at lunch with this kid and like so i i was like as a young kid, like, I wasn't racist, even though my, like, my parents would talk and we would, like, generalize all Russians in Spokane. Okay. Except my friend, Artem, he was a good one. You were good. Like, he was good. So what you're His family was good. We liked his family. As a, as a, as a child, um, you were not racist. It was, racism is not something that is conditioned. It is something that you chose later on. Yes. <laughs> No, yeah, especially, like, car shopping in Spokane. Mm -hmm. If you're, like, buying a car on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace and you're, like, going to visit the person. Like, people, if the person has a Russian accent, you back out immediately. Like, you don't. Because it is assumed, and this might be horrible, Mm -hmm. but it's assumed that the parts were all mixed up. Uh, It came from a chop shop. Like, there's going to be a million problems with this car. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, so you you just don't mess with it. Okay. That that that's how not diverse uh, Spokane is. But what was I talking about? The autistic brother. Bit. Autistic brother and how you incorporate. Oh yeah, yeah. Your sets. So yes. there's a part of my set and also does really well in Spokane. Uh-huh. But so I did the jokes about my autistic brother and the punchline is uh, he would just say stuff like that, like when I brought the date over or the black guy, even though it was actually me, not my brother. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, my brother says these things. And so me and my other brother thought we could fix him. Yeah. So every time he'd say something dumb, we would just beat the shit out of him. That's right. And we did this for like 10 years. Yeah. And then the punchline is, and we stopped the moment he was diagnosed with autism. autism. <laughs> True story. Um, <laughs> Kills in Washington. <laughs> Kills in Washington. I remember I was like on my mission when my mom emailed me and told me he was diagnosed with oh, autism. Oh, that's okay. Because was, he was 12 when he was diagnosed and I was 18. Uh-huh. And I, 
was, uh, or yeah, whatever our age difference is. And uh, I remember sitting there like, oh. <laughs> oh, crap. Some of the stuff we did to him probably wasn't okay. Uh-huh. Did you pray about it? <laughs> did you go to the scriptures? Was that was there any religious element to your conversion process to not hate your brother anymore? No, unfortunately not. Okay. Well, I, the Lord was like, it was pretty funny. Okay. <laughs> so the light of Christ. You should make anyway. a joke about it. Uh-huh. And you have. Yeah, yeah, that's how you've coped with it. Your brother's fine. How old is your brother now? Um, 23. 23? Okay. Yeah. Just a little bit older. Or 24. Than your yeah. I could be your autistic, <laughs> essentially. Um, my neurologist and therapist have all been suspicious. So, um, anywho, so I, I did, it was like when I was first testing this joke, because like a brand new open mic. Yeah. And this was the first bit that I was like, it kills and it does well. Well, this comic came from. He, I mean, he won't listen. This guy sucks. His, I'm going to just name him. His name's Lou Moon. He's a comic from Phoenix. Okay. Um, he's... I shouldn't say the word I want to use. Um, what's the modern word for faggot? Um, <laughs> this really is... Yeah, you're really just living up to the name of this podcast, aren't you? <laughs> um, for modern audiences. I guess the word is dork. Uh, he's such a dork. Okay. And this guy, he'd come on stage. He had a cane, which I don't know uh-huh. if he needed the cane or not. He's like my age. Okay. And he did the jokes. Right. He did jokes about having autism. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, most comedians might have autism. Mm-hmm. I think and that's yeah, this guy did not seem fair. especially autistic. Mm-hmm. Like, if anything, he might be as autistic as I am. All right. He felt the need to corner me after the sh- mic. Okay. So this is the guy. Yeah. This is the okay. I know. Yeah. You yeah. So you know this part this of the joke. Guy. I know this part of the joke. And I should you not I said you shouldn't. You don't have autism. Yeah. Your brother does. Mm-hmm. You don't have the right to make jokes about it yeah. because you don't have autism. That's like if a white guy goes on stage and says the N word. Uh-huh. And I Oops. laughed at him. Yeah. And I told him to go fuck himself. <laughs> like right. I was not. I was not very cordial. Well, especially when I first started, I was very defensive with yeah. my jokes. And if someone just didn't like the jokes they were saying, I was like crossing the line or something. I would get very defensive and just snap at people. And yeah. I did with him. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "I'm not trying to be the joke police." And I was like, "Well, you kind of are." Yeah. And, um, but it was such a ridiculous thing that he said, comparing me doing jokes about my autistic, my lived experience with my autistic brother, where I am actually the punchline because mm-hmm. I beat up my autistic brother when he didn't deserve it that's yeah. the joke yeah well i'm not making fun of autism i'm not saying we should round up aussies and put them in camps no like no, i'm not like, <laughs> in fact if anything you were the you were the um autistic gestapo you were the one inflicting the pain on your brother and you were exactly the one that, you're the one who's ridiculed exactly mm-hmm. i felt i felt like i was the one being ridiculed in my own joke yeah um but the fact that he said that was the same. And then, so I do the punchline, which they, this doesn't do well in Provo. Uh, yeah. It actually just works in Salt Lake, Wise Guys. But where I tell that story, the, and I liked being able to take that story, because I was like, okay, sweet. This guy just gave me another, like, one minute of material. An awesome, great thing, yeah. And now all I say is, like, whenever I do autistic jokes, there's no autistic people waiting to kick the shit out of me after, yeah, after the, the show. show. Yeah. Uh, which... 
white people in Provo tense up. They're like, were you saying black people are violent? But like, I've done that joke in front of black people, and they are laughing because yeah. they, they. If I think the, the if I said the n word on stage, they might kick the shit out of me yeah. after the show. Like, yeah, and also I think that just goes. I mean, autistic people typically don't wake up and choose violence. Yeah, that's more of a. I mean. When people just in general get offended, yeah, they might beat you up. But when autistic people, I mean, I don't think they know how to get offended. Yeah. So I don't think that guy will ever hear this podcast. Um, Lou, if you do hear this, come at me. Like, <laughs> Find Drew. Um, but yeah, so we're a, we're a good like few minutes in here. So let's get to the theme of this podcast. Let's okay. get fired. Where I ask questions let's, let's get fired you <laughs> you just rage isn't that isn't that isn't that a, I, I don't know it's, I, it's I, fun I, yeah it's a fun name for a podcast uh, did you see the logo amanda made it i have yeah i have yeah. seen the logo yeah um, amanda designed the whole thing mm-hmm. from scratch you have a very supportive wife very yeah. lovely yes I, that's it i think uh, i lucked out because uh she wants me to try to do comedy full-time and I think most women would be like, how about you put more focus into a real career? Yeah. And if I like him skipping open mics, Amanda's like, why are you not putting focus into what you want to be That's very nice. Career? It's lovely to have a partner who's very supportive. My girlfriend, she's very supportive of my own. Like, she's supportive in her own way. Of yeah. My comedy. She, like, she's very excited when I get to go out and do open mics. She's like, okay, this is what Nicholas loves to Dude. do. Um, but to sum up the kind of the level of support and enthusiasm she generally has for Uh um, my comedy. We went and saw, uh, like, a professional comedian. Who was Uh, it? uh, It was uh, Rodney Norman. Oh, yeah. And it was fun. It was a fun show. Like, Michael Meehan opened, and Michael Meehan did great. We loved Michael. I think I was at that show. Yeah. At the Hive. Yeah, it was at the Hive. Tanner performed. Tanner did well. Um... Uh, someone else performed, don't quite remember who, uh, but it was a lot of fun. And Rodney was fun, but he was long, and he just didn't engage us quite as long. Um, so in the end, we kind of felt like uh, it was a little bit boring. Uh, and afterwards, we were a little disappointed with Rodney's performance at the end. He was fun, but didn't keep us super engaged. And like, okay, that was a little rough. And we got into the car, uh, and my girlfriend looks at me, and she says, you know, Nicholas, after watching that, I think you've got a shot. <laughs> so that's how I feel like her her level of support is. Uh, she just likes to make fun of me, but after she's like, you know, well, if he can do it, then maybe you can do it too. I think I'm going to sneeze. <coughs> so okay. tight. There we go. Yeah. Amanda's been the same way. Mm-hmm. Where we've seen comedians who are at, like the next level. Yeah. Like above where I'm at. And... She's like, well, if that's what they're doing, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, Skankfest, uh, I thought I was just going to show up and kill it. Yeah. Like, I was like, they can't handle me. I get there and I find out I'm by far the cleanest comedian at <laughs> Skankfest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am by far. I'm like, because I'm not... You've had to neuter I've, some I've not, jokes in Provo, yeah. too. And I think... <laughs> When you're in this area, you're going to be writing material like, okay, I'm somewhat limited here. Yeah. Too. And the crowd's reception to your jokes, too, I think you've learned. Okay, I have to... Write. Yeah. And Provo goes one or two ways. Mm-hmm. They laugh too hard. Okay. Like, I'm like, this joke does not deserve that response. Like, yeah. I, I, I appreciate that I'm killing, mm-hmm. but I shouldn't be killing this hard. 
or they don't laugh at all. It's never they're never normal. The mm-hmm. people in Provo. No. They either really are on board. Not a typical audience. Yeah, it's yeah. not. It's weird. Um, and the same joke just will either flop or mm-hmm. do really good. And I know people might listen who like do comedy other places. Like that's how comedy always is. It will flop or do yeah. well. It's different in Provo. Mm-hmm. Like it's very a different feel. But yeah, I got Skankfest, and I thought they won't be able to handle what I do. Like, I'm going to be so hardcore. That's, that's a I was like, for yourself, too. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to meet all my comedy heroes there. Uh-huh. They're going to, like, think I'm awesome. They're just going to give you a big old hug. You thought you'd be incorporated in Oh, dude, I was, I was deranged uh, going to Skankfest. I mean, uh, I was definitely humbled. Like, because there were so many pros there. Yeah. I got to see where I want to be. Mm-hmm. And it just made me like, okay, when I get back from Vegas this weekend, I need to go to work. And I think like in November, I did like 24 open mics. Mm-hmm. Like You just, it gave you the motivation you It needed. gave me the motivation I need. Also, like I've been going to Wise Guys twice a week because mm-hmm. uh, I got a panic attack because I met the booker at Skankfest, Rebecca. That's right, Rebecca. And she's like... A big deal and i was mm-hmm. like what if she knows like keith the yeah. booker wise guys the owner and i was like keith doesn't know who i am and i've been living in utah for a year yeah and so like i got panicked i was like what if she asked keith about me mm-hmm. and, and keith I, doesn't know and, and keith doesn't know and so i like start panicking i was like mm-hmm. okay okay and the thing is though uh wise guys is like the only legitimate place to do comedy in utah yeah like if you want legitimate comedy crowds and if you want crowds it's one of the best mics I've ever done. Yeah, great open mic there. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're wanting to do weekend shows there, you have to be there all the time, consistently. Yeah, and, and Keith will like if yeah. you're good, he will reward you with an opening spot. Yeah, and so I've just been there nonstop. I want my face to be present mm-hmm. and him to be like, "Who is this guy?" Have you so, been on a Sunday showcase yet? No, I don't do shows on Sunday. Okay, and it's not even uh, uh, is that a. No, it's not even that, um, because, like, when I first started out, I did shows on Sunday all the time. Yeah. Um, Here, I will play, (laughs) I want to play a clip. You know who Joey Diaz is? No, I do not. Um, Joey Diaz is a pretty funny dude. Um, He's a funny, like, podcaster. I don't think his stand-up is all that funny, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though I find it funny. I just, uh, it's, I, I don't know. Um, he's just such a character of a person. Yeah. Like. He's colorful, vivacious. He really comes to the mic. Look him up. He's an old, like, Cuban dude. Joey Diaz? Yeah, Joey okay. Diaz. Um, like, he's just such a character of a person. Um, it's kind of ridiculous. Like, you wouldn't think he's a real human. He started doing stand-up in prison. Okay. That's good place to start when he was in prison mm-hmm. where okay i got a clip of them was he oh at yeah Skankfest? no but i think he's done it before okay he would be a great fit for Skankfest. Mm-hmm. i mean he's all about filthy like he's a filthy dude <laughs> and he does he's a dirty boy yeah <laughs> and uh dude he'll do like on his podcast, do 500 milligrams of edibles. <laughs> okay. Nice. You know, you got to loosen up. He's yeah. a character. Yeah. And then he'll, like, try to give the guest the same amount. Uh-huh. Okay. And he has a very high tolerance because... 
I think when you when people have edibles, each one's like usually ten. Yeah, ten. <laughs> and so pe- five. That's that's a good ta- starting dose. He's taking five. what he calls stars of death, and uh-huh. each one has two hundred and fifty. Yeah, and then he just pops two. He pops two, and like, do, I do remember his one time, often humor him? Do they the guests that? sometimes pass out? Yeah. <laughs> or, like, they can't handle And he's like, ah, oh, poor son of a bitch. And then he'll grab one. He's like, here's one for you. And he takes another <laughs> one. <laughs> Let's pour one out for, the, for okay. those we lost. Okay, I think this is uh, Joe Rogan talking about Joey Diaz. Okay. But suitable enough. All right. You told me that... Because when you're opening and somebody big um, says, like, you can open for me, it's so it's so exciting, but it's also, like, you're so thrilled to have a job. And that you told me, you go, one time... Joey just called. Like, I was like, "Where are you?" He's like, "It's Sunday. I went home." And you're like, "Dude, we have a show tonight." He goes, "I don't do Sunday shows." Yes. And I'm like, "To be an opener and be like, tell somebody like, yeah, I don't do that." Joey knew I loved him unconditionally. Well, I remember one time I was working clubs in like 2012. I'd known Joey a few years, and he just called me one Sunday. He goes, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "Uh, I'm in Kansas City," and uh, you know, he's like, "What are you doing in Kansas City?" I go, "I have a show tonight." He goes, "You know what kind of fucking Momo goes out on a Sunday?" <laughs> I was like, "What?" <laughs> He's like, "You can't do t- you can't do Sunday shows, Thompson." And I go, "But I, I ha- it's part of my contract." He goes, "You tell them, you tell them I don't do Sunday shows. I'm not a fucking loser piece of shit." And I was like, "Okay, I'll tell them." I love Sunday shows. Yeah, like, all right, Sunday man. shows are casual. I know. I, I cannot believe he was, he was casted for The Sopranos. So imagine like an Italian mob boss. Okay. He's actually Cuban, Cuban. Mm-hmm. but he's. Old, like, Italian mob boss, like, vibes. I don't do Sunday shows. Yeah, it's like, you tell them, Tom Segura, you don't do Sunday shows. So you actually I, don't do Sunday shows. I don't shows. do, because I figured long-term in my life, I want to make sure I have one day that's just off. Yeah. I turn it off. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I everyone did, like, sat down, yeah. I sat down with Amanda, like, it was, like, a year ago, and I was like, you know what, I think if I get opportunities for, like, Sundays, I'm just going to be like, nah. Mm-hmm. So... If I do end up doing stuff at Wise Guys, I think it's going to be doing, like, opening for the regular weekend shows, not doing the Sunday special, which um, I know a few people in this scene listen to this podcast regularly. Yes. A few comics that I talk to, and I'm not going to name names, but there's people who have been on the Sunday special where I'm like, oh, it's not that special. Um, So Keith Keith will listen, like, he'll watch you. I think if you ask Keith to watch you, not that I know a lot. I mean, I was able to participate in the Salt Lake scene for maybe a month before I left. And so officially I retired as a Utah County comedian. Yeah. Um, Since Skankfest, I've been all in doing mics in Salt Lake. Okay. And have been hanging out with comics in Salt Lake, trying to build connections there. Establish yourself. Establish myself. Because the first year we lived here, I did ninety percent of the time I was on stage was here in Utah County. Yeah, improv Broadway. And it's hard to build an act in Utah County, um, just because you're trying to like workshop stuff that like you don't know will do well or what will do well, and you don't know how they're going to respond with mm-hmm. the Provo audience. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a it's a small little bubble here with their own unique tastes and flavors. And they like silliness. They do like silliness. They like silliness. That's that is what a, they that's like. an adorable way to put it. They <laughs> they enjoy antics and goofballs and silliness. And there's not a lot of that in my act. It's no. not. <laughs> it's not very silly. You are a you are a stationary man, a monolith who I, uh, I, who does not waver. You just stand there in motion. Yeah, I don't move. I don't. 
when I first started stand-up... You were a pacer. Yeah, I think I showed you videos. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I've showed other people, so I was like, I probably showed you. But yeah, when I started, very skinny, and I just would pace around... <laughs> The fatter I've gotten, the more stationary I've stayed. Yeah. But also, I think it's just a better look for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized how bad it looked on tape as well. And so, for a bit, I decided I wouldn't take the mic out of the mic stand. Yeah. So, I would just hold the mic stand to make sure I didn't move. But then, like, I still had weird twitches where, like, I watched the tape and my leg was, like, going like this the whole show. <laughs> and, like, 15 minutes nonstop of that. Just spazzing out. Yeah. Just spazzing out. Okay. Um, now, and I think that was just getting comfortable on stage and, mm-hmm. you know, n- a general nervousness of being in front of people. Yeah. But you were doing the work. You were watching yourself and you were evolving. Like, yeah. Okay. I can improve here. You can so improve here. So now when I get on stage, my feet are planted in one spot. Yeah. And I think I come off as like calm and collected yeah, and not like mm-hmm. nervous to be up there. Yeah. You look like, yeah, I'm, uh. You kind of feel like you're the coolest guy in the room once you're up there. You're just like, yeah, I know who I am. Yeah, I'm just, just going <laughs> to that's such there. a... That's only in Provo. <laughs> I don't feel like I'm the coolest guy in the room anywhere else but Provo. <laughs> but Provo. Provo is an ego boost. For oh, dude, idiots. in Provo, I'm like... I'm like, I'm the big bad wolf here. Yeah. But like, and I, you are the dirtiest comedian like, in Provo. People in and people in Provo are like, you were like a bully in high school, weren't you? And I'm like, yeah. not even close. Like, <laughs> nah, man. Nah. I just beat up my autistic I, brother. I, I, I wasn't a bully. I'm just, I'm just hardcore in Provo. But like in yeah. Washington, I wasn't hardcore. Like anyone who like knew me in high school, they're like, yeah, Drew was shy and quiet and like kept to himself. And half of your peers in Washington are still addicted to meth. <laughs> Oh, that's kind of true. I think it depends. You know, there's probably some truth to this. I think everyone who had below a 1.7 GPA (laughs) is probably on meth right now. 1.7. Yeah, that's what... I wanted to say 2.0, but I know know some people... But you looked around and you're like, I know we can go lower on this. Yeah, Clayton's not on meth, uh, so... (laughs) He gives you... He gives you an experience. We, we graduated at the same school, same class. Same year? Clayton same year. is your age? Clayton... Some people age like fine milk. <laughs> <laughs> and otherwise, you know... Then there's Clayton, who is a beautiful, middle-aged... 50, just a beautiful, middle-aged man who is in his late 20s. He just turned 30. He just turned 30! Good for him. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I knew you guys were close. I mean, but it still surprises me. Yeah. He actually moved to Utah before Amanda and I did. I think it's his demeanor. I think he just has uh, the defeat of an older man in his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. He's still, yeah, he's got a youthful glow, but a lot of it has been, I think, moderated by. Yeah. No, I think general alcoholism has, like, drowned that glow. Yeah. <laughs> so. And Clayton is gay. Bye. He's bi. He has a girlfriend now. Oh, he has a girlfriend. She Good lives man. with him. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I so. just was always... Because he, sometimes he would bring it up, and I was never sure. Yeah. Okay. Dude, I... Uh, the first time I saw you on stage, I was turning to Quinn... And I made so many gay jokes on your expense. And I think they were good ones. I think yeah. they were tasteful. I was good. I was going to go to the fast like in six months. And I was going to be the hottest shit there. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't like, <laughs> they weren't like distasteful jokes. Uh, but like, uh, yeah, just, you know, you shit on new comics when you see them. And yeah. like, 
you weren't good your first month, and mm-hmm. then after that, you were really good, where I think most comics are not good for, like, their first five years. Mm-hmm. Um, I was learning, yeah. Still learning a lot. So you learned at a rapid pace? Everyone does think that I'm... Everyone. Doesn't matter. So I served, right, a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ, uh, and everyone, like... I got sent home on that mission. I was fired. And a lot of people thought it was because I was gay. Um, like, I, I had had a companion earlier. And I even told him about past relationships I had been in. Like, oh, yeah, I had a couple of girlfriends. But when he found out I had been sent home, it was like, it was because he was gay. Oh, dude. It? For sure. And most people, most people, like, I've grown up, everyone in high school, everyone in college, people in grad school, um, I always make a point, yes, my girlfriend. My girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, my girlfriend would love that. Oh, it's yes, probably indeed. good we got to this because the listeners are probably like. Yes. <laughs> I'm sure they were, actually. I'm sure every... It doesn't matter where I am. Everyone thinks, you know... And, you know, I don't take offense to that assumption. It's a fun... Yeah. It's a fun assumption. Um, but, yeah, everyone... Uh, every, especially when you see me, too. Like, listening, I think, gives some indications. But if you see my gait, I have a... I have a flamboyant bounce about me. You sure do. Um, yeah. But, you know what? I think it's a good thing. Because I think flamboyancy... Uh, helps p- comics get away with more yeah. than like a dude like me on stage. I don't think I can get away with You're as more much. dry. Um, yeah. And that like suits itself to certain jokes and certain deliveries. Um, and I've played with the flamboyance. I've turned down the flamboyance for some jokes um, because I'm also a very anxious, nervous person. Mm-hmm. So I like to lean into, like I have an opening joke that really is just about my social anxiety. Um, and the more nervous I appear and a little uncomfortable, usually the better it does. And so I really like that, but I always notice that even if I start with that, I always just love being on stage, and if the jokes are going well, then I'm just like, okay, hot, then you can just see me become more and more animated. And I think, like, I'm trying to figure out what is the best for my stage presence and the jokes that I tell. I think it still comes back, like, my flamboyance can win a lot of people over. Yeah. Like, they enjoy watching it. I think it's an asset. I don't think it hurts you. Mm Mm-hmm. But I also think people, like, being them nat- their natural selves is a big thing to getting laughs. Yeah. Um, because I-, I think I showed you, like, brief tapes of my early stand-up, and it was bad. Mm-hmm. Like, I was animated. I was excited. You I weren't would, the Drew Simon that I, I knew. I would sometimes yell into the microphone. Uh-huh. And be, yeah, I would be doing crazy stuff. Uh, where... That's not, like, if I'm sitting at home joking with my family, Mm -hmm. that's not how I would say jokes. Yeah. Like, and as soon as, I got this advice from Amanda. She said, how about you just try, because she's like, you're very funny with your family. Mm -hmm. How about you just, on stage, pretend you're just telling these jokes in your mom's living room? Yeah. And I started doing that, and that's when I started, like, quote, like, begin to find my voice, and, like, begin to, like, oh, piece it together. Oh, this Mm -hmm. is what gets... And I realized I was getting way more laughs when I was pretending I was telling these jokes to my mom and her husband. Yeah, you were being yourself. And people yeah. could believe that, you know. Yeah. Otherwise... It wasn't believe. What I was yeah. doing before wasn't believable. Mm-hmm. I was dressed like a hipster all the time. Okay. I wore button-ups all the way up. You did wear button-ups. <laughs> yeah. In one of those, uh, in that footage. And now you just wear Seahawk. I, uh, yeah, now I, Amanda doesn't like this. She wants me to dress nice. Okay. Amanda likes it when I dress nice. Oh, I bet she but does. But I told her, I, was, I think my look is just a hoodie on stage. Yeah. And, uh, and I think it suits well with, like, the material I do and everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't like that. She wants me to... She wants you... It would be weird to see you on a, in a suit on stage. Yeah, I'm not... That's never going to happen. Okay. Yeah. Does it work for Colin, the suit? I... I 
haven't seen him in person do this okay. suit, so I will let you know. All right, please do. I've seen this. I've seen footage of the. I've seen him in the suit recently. I'd like to. I'd like to know if that serves an asset to his uh, particularly edgy jokes. If it creates a, I don't know, a contradiction or a contrast. That seems to be what it's going for. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good. I think from the videos I've seen. Okay. But it, it's definitely interesting. Mm-hmm. It it ages him. Yeah. Because I think he's only twenty six. 26? Yeah, he's young. No. He's, he's younger than me. He, he is. I'm 29. Okay. He's younger than me. God, is younger than you. Yeah. No, like I said, some people age like milk. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into the pre-prepared questions. Okay. And I, I start off with the same ones for everyone. Wonderful. Fantastic. Have you, have you ever been fired from a job before? Um, from a professional job that paid me? No. No, never been just fired from a pain. From job. your volunteer work. From a, my volunteer work as a missionary for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, I have technically yes been fired. And how did that transpire? <laughs> well, it's a great story. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It involves aliens, uh, a prominent leader of the LDS Church. Uh, a prominent leader. A prominent leader, yes. Yeah. A prominent leader. Not. I'm not going to go like one of the main 15, the presidency <laughs> or the quorum of the 12 apostles, but one of their, uh, you know, still prominent but slightly less powerful in the priesthood lackeys in the 70. So um, we'll just say I um, there, was a, there was a part of my life, Drew, where I thought, I'm like, I wanted to become more spiritual. I wanted to be more religious, more in tune with my religion. Um, and I thought that a great way of doing that would be to serve a mission. So I was in college. I finished college. I hadn't served a mission before that. But I'm like, you know what? Let's, let's become more spiritual. And so I get ready to serve a mission, um, do everything I need to. And pretty much as soon as I'm deployed, um, I f- like it was the first time in my life where I finally like, grappled with the material, the doctrine of the church, the history of the church, all that jazz. And probably within, I don't know, several weeks, I'm like, oh yeah, no, this isn't, I don't believe any of this. This is, uh, this I don't think is true. And so that was my, my mentality. I wanted to stay out. I want to give myself a chance. Like, well, maybe there will be experiences. Maybe there will be good opportunities to learn, to grow. Um, and also I'm supposed to go to the Netherlands, but because of the pandemic, they had me waiting in the States, Uh um, until an opportunity arose. So like, okay, Okay, if I if I wait it out long enough, then I'll get to go to the Netherlands. I'll get to learn Dutch. I'll have an international experience, um, and that'll be really useful, really helpful, and really cool. Um, and I didn't end up telling anyone that I didn't believe the church was true for a long time. I was very good at just making it through the motions. Like I was an excellent teacher. I mean, I could just regale any uh, eager McBeaver listeners. Uh, yeah, there were uh, there were a couple of baptisms here and there. I mean, I never lied. That was always my uh, like. I didn't bear testimony ever. Um, which I could pretty easily get away with. Like, it wasn't super noticeable. I could just um, tweak things that I said here and there. But I was a good missionary, opening up with prayers, um, having good lessons, answering concerns. Uh, And then my mission president, he eventually found out. um, And we would have conversations, and I appreciate our conversations. Uh, But about 10 months in, um, we had someone visit the mission 
um, and it was one of the top-notch authorities of the church. His name was uh, Weatherford Touchstone Clayton, um, but his friends call him Wev. Uh, I know because I asked. I thought Weatherford was a little too unwieldy. He's a 70, yes. Still? Uh, No, he just got released. He got released this past general conference, Um, and all of my friends who are still in the church uh, texted me to let me know that my boy um, was just released. (laughs) As you'll find out, he was uh, instrumental to my departure. Uh, So he comes, and he wants to sit in on a few lessons with some missionaries. Um, And me and my lucky companion were selected because we were teaching a man, uh, his name was James, uh, and he was moving along well. He was expressing a lot of interest in baptism. So they thought, hey, let's put Weatherford in this lesson, answer some questions. And so we meet with Weatherford before the lesson starts, uh, just so we can help answer some questions about James. Um, We go through, you know, he's got some church authority things. He was raised Catholic, so he doesn't like a lot of like hierarchy within religion. He doesn't have great feelings towards the Catholic Church because of things he went through as a kid. And so uh, maybe you could help answer just some questions about like what the hierarchy means, what it represents, all that jazz. Uh, He's like, okay, great, sounds good. What we failed to mention um, is that James has been abducted by aliens several times. Um, And it is, in fact, instrumental to who he is as a person. In fact, there is not one time where I went to James's house and we did not discuss aliens. Um, We talked about a lot of things. Uh, The thing we talked about the least was probably the gospel of Jesus Christ and the doctrine of the Mormon church. Um, Mostly, we talked about the times that he was probed. With love, of course. All of his alien abductions were very positive. There was one time where he had uh, he went to the moon, and he was part of this um, intergalactic assembly. Uh, and she, he essentially saw himself... Yeah, about other signs of schizophrenia? He had... Uh, his girlfriend was a vampire. Um, that's, that's what he... And then one day, I actually... I remember this so crystal clear. I walked into his house, um, and I look at James... And all of a sudden, I look over and I see this woman. I'm like, what? And I look back at James and he says, turns out she's not a vampire. I'm like, what? The nuts? Because our whole conversations up to that point had been about how his girlfriend was a vampire and um, was draining his essence um, and all that jazz. Uh, he ended up reverting back on that idea. She ended up being a vampire again. Uh, uh, you want to know why? Because he went down to Moab and the rocks told him that she was a vampire. So... If you ever go to Moab, you should inquire. In case you ever, you know, get suspicious about your own relationship, then the rocks of Moab will lend advice. Oh, so, man. I'm, and I, I love this I'm going to give that advice to someone else and okay. use that. Yeah. Come back to their girlfriend and be like, turns out the rocks told me you're a bitch. The rocks, the rocks told me. The, the, the rocks let me know that we should no longer be together. They're, they're helpful rocks. And... Uh, I really, but I love James. James is very delightful. Also a very intelligent man. He he brokered syrup with the Amish. That was one of his jobs. He would take apart things, put them back together, sell them to folks. Um, and he would buy syrup from the Amish and then sell it to preppers. Was there a lot of Amish there? Um, not, uh, he would take, he would travel to Wisconsin. So, okay. um, this would be in Colorado. This is, okay. I was serving in Colorado at the time. My wife grew up in Amish. 
Oh, did she? Land. Yeah. Okay, Pennsylvania, yeah. right? Lots yeah, lots of Amish. Yeah, so there were some Amish that he dealt with in Wisconsin, and that was kind of his deal. Um, exciting things. So, and I, I love this man to death. He, he was very delightful, very fun to talk to, and that's why he liked the church, is because, you know, Mormon theology is very cosmic. It's got different gods, it has, you know, you have your own planets, there are people on these different planets. So these experiences for him really dovetailed. He's like, okay, maybe this church has something because it tends, like, some of the doctrines seems to fit my experiences, all my abductions. Um, he actually has um, a couple of half, uh, well, full children. Um, he has born children with some aliens. Dolphins, as it turns out, are from another galaxy. Really? Um, yes, and he has conceived a child um, with a dolphin who is now fighting valiantly for the Atlanteans against Satan's forces of reptilian evil. So, the... the to give you an idea, you, how, these are the conversations we would have. How did you neglect... Have. I don't get what why you neglected all of that. <laughs> Earlier, that he had uh, made love with a dolphin. I in space, <laughs> too. Should I have led with that? Should I have led that he had sex with a dolphin yeah. in space? <laughs> I'm, I apologize. But this is, this is just to let you know. I have a lot of respect for James. I love the man. Um, and this is exactly what we talked about for pretty much every lesson. So now... Picture Weatherford, who always talks like he's giving some sort of spiritual devotional or a prayer. He always talks like, my name is Oweth, and I'm so glad that you can be here today. That's his cadence. That's his normal. He sounds like he's giving a general conference talk. And so picture that man now coming to a lesson um, where we talk about aliens, sex with aliens, all that wonderful jazz, uh, where we have not previously warned uh, Weatherford, that aliens uh, tend to be the main focus. So we get to the lesson, everyone gets cozy, we have an opening prayer, um, uh, Weth is there, and he goes, so James, tell me, what concerns do you have? And immediately James goes, so I've been abducted by aliens several times, and I think it's essential to who I am, and I want to know what you and Russell M. Nelson, your prophet, are hiding from us about aliens. <laughs> and for the next 30 minutes, uh, Weatherford tried to use scripture to tell him aliens weren't quite that important, but it was Weatherford, he, James just kept coming down and down and down on the fact that, no, aliens are important to who I am, and I feel like you're ignoring me. Like, he did not like his experience with Wed that much. And you could feel um, some discomfort and some, not quite hostility, but just dis discomfort. And she's like, ah, I don't really feel like I'm being listened to. So the lesson went off the rails. It was about aliens this entire time. Another, like a, a very conservative, proper church leader with us having to answer questions about aliens. Um, and I had an amazing time. It was probably the best lesson I had ever sat in. I thought it was delightful. Jump to a week later, I meet with my mission president, and he told me, he's like, so I, I talked um, with, uh, with Wev, and he told he me... He just called him Wev? He like... didn't call him. I, I like to call him Wev. But okay. he called, I talked to Elder Clayton, um, <laughs> and I said, oh, what did he say? He said it was the most interesting lesson he had ever sat on. I'm like, oh, how so? And he said, my mission president... He, he said, well, Elder Clayton said he didn't feel the spirit at all, the Holy Spirit at all. Um, and we think it's your fault. So that's my mission president. He didn't really hear about the light. I don't think Weatherford elaborated that it was about aliens the whole time. And my mission president, knowing I didn't quite believe the church was true, was under the impression that 
things had gone wrong on my account um, and had kind of bled into a larger belief that I was actually spreading dissent among oh, no. the other missionaries. And what's important within an LDS mission is that, you know, like you don't get a lot of conversions, frankly. Like if you go to South America or Central America, you'll get a lot of conversions, but you won't get a lot of retention. Um, and my mission. Really? We averaged four baptisms a year. Four baptisms a year in per, Guatemala? Per missionary. Okay. Per, per missionary. Yeah. Well, that's not... I mean, terrible. for states, it's not terrible, but yeah. like Mexico, I had a buddy who was like seventy a year. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, it's like you're not you're either not baptizing a lot or you are baptizing a lot, but no one really comes to church. Yeah. So the the point of a mission is to just ensure that people who serve missions stay in the church. Like it's kind of a way to just build faith, build faithful experiences, and to kind of maintain membership. Yeah. Um, and so I became a huge liability then because. You know, if I wasn't so much sabotaging lessons, then I was leading other missionaries astray. And so uh, my mission president sent me home because he was worried he would have to have conversations with other missionary parents um, about information that I had fed them. It wasn't true. Like, I wasn't spreading dissent, but that is kind of... Yeah, I can't imagine you doing that. Uh Uh-huh. And then I was was sent home uh, after that. And then you, you still went to church after that. Oh, yeah, all the time. Like, I was... Uh, you still? I was sent home. I don't go to church anymore. I went to Michigan. It's not really... Uh, I, I went to one church activity, and I looked around, like, mm, these people don't look very exciting. And I, uh, I left. Was it, like, a YSA? It was a YSA, yeah, a young single adult ward. And, like, I went to church only for the social aspect. Um, yeah. It was... I removed my records a few months after... I was sent home, and that was always my intention. I kept them in a little bit longer so I could go to a temple ceiling. Uh, one of my good friends, she knew I wanted to leave the church, but she said, hey, if you leave your records in long enough, I'd love to, for you to be at my ceiling. And I'd never been to a ceiling, so I wanted to check it out. So I went to a ceiling. Um, everything you hoped it would be? <laughs> it was everything I hoped to be and far less. It was <laughs> incredibly... The ceiling itself was a little dull, but I got the experience. I was very happy for my friend. How should they spoof it up? How should they spiff up a ceiling? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think if... Uh, Really, it just turned into a little Sunday school lesson, but I think if they do a, a little like PowerPoint presentation about the things you can look forward to in the celestial kingdom, like endless celestial sex and all that jazz, then I think you can I think you have opportunities to spice it up, terraforming planets. Like the doctrine of the church has a lot of promising elements to it. Um, and so I would be down for a musical number or two within uh, within the church, but they, uh, yeah, it was a little dull, and then uh, probably a week or two after the ceiling itself, um, that's when I officially removed my records. I met with my bishop. He was going to give me a calling. Um, we talked about the calling. He's like, well, thank you for accepting the calling. I said, well, I never accepted it. And in fact, um, here's a letter with my resignation from the church. He's like, oh, okay. Um, and with that, uh, my uh, legal relationship was officially terminated. There you go. Yeah, it was good. I I fantasized more about getting, like, I thought it would have been sexier to get excommunicated from the church rather than to resign on my own accord, much like you did with your job. But I, uh, that's just kind of how it fell out. I'm like, all right, well, I'm out. Well, what's the worst job you've ever worked? The worst job I've ever worked? Oh, that's a good question. I have enjoyed most of my jobs. Um at this at this point uh, i have to give this uh, just crazy that's not a trait of most comics i think the more you get into comedy the more you're gonna hate jobs yeah there was 
again, I'm a like I have a slightly different background than I think a lot of the comics you interview. Yeah. Um, I think one of the jobs I didn't enjoy so much. I was a chemistry intern back in high school. Like I worked at a university. Interesting. I was synthesizing uh, nanoparticles. Fascinating. Uh, copper, iron, indium disulfide, I think is what it was. And I think it just, like, it just wasn't quite my flavor. Um, I don't have super sexy stories. Uh, You're more of that. a magnesium person. Yeah, I'm more of a magnesium, <laughs> yes. a magnesium uh, <laughs> copper fluoride guy myself. I mean, these are, like, oh, these, are the, these are the, these are the nanoparticles I believe in. Uh, there was, there was something uh, really embarrassing that did happen in that job. Uh, a little embarrassing, uh, but... As part of that job, every couple of months, you're supposed to give a presentation on how your research is going. Um, and I was young and flamboyant and a showman. I was, I'm very, you know me, I'm theatrical. You are very theatrical. I am theatrical. Did, wait, did you do theater? No, I've never done theater. Uh, well, as kindergarten, I performed in the gingerbread family, okay. <laughs> um, and that was a good time. But beyond it's that, probably no. for the best. Yeah, uh, everyone thinks I do theater. theater. Kids are dorks. Like most you people, know, uh, most people assume that. Like, did you study theater? I'm like, nah. I did physics and political. I've science. never met someone who is very heavy into theater. Yeah, I'm sure it's out there. Yeah, very but heavy. I'm. I've never met someone who's like very into it. Who it translates to them being a very good stand up. Really, I. I'm sure it's out there, and yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of stand-ups for like, hey, I was actually in started, theater. Yeah. But for the most part, every person I have met in comedy who told me they did a lot of theater, it doesn't translate, which you think it would, because it's like showmanship, and it's like performing exactly. on stage. Mm -hmm. But I think um, it's a different, like, so um, my wife was really into like theater in high school and did all the plays she could do, mm -hmm. and she's been trying stand-up, and... It like I talked to her about it, and she's like, it's a whole different monster. Like, yeah. doesn't compare in any way. The only similarity is that you're on stage. Mm -hmm. That's it. But and she said for her, it's way harder because like you have to kind of be more vulnerable and be yourself. Yeah. Where you if you're acting, you're playing a character, uh -huh. so it's not as like nerve wracking. And you don't have to acknowledge the audience at all. Yeah. Right. You're you're not you're not playing for laughs necessarily. And if there is a funny part in a play and they don't laugh, it's all right. You just keep going on with the play. Yeah, it's not gonna ruin your night that they didn't laugh because that's not why you're yeah, doing it. Exactly. So yeah, very different things. Um, from my experience in kindergarten playing the dog that ate the gingerbread <laughs> man, I uh, I can attest they're uh, they're two different beasts indeed. Well. What was, uh, so you're talking about jobs. What's, what's your favorite job you've ever worked? My favorite job I've ever worked, um... Being a missionary. I, oh, yeah, <laughs> being a missionary, you know, serving, serving the good people of the Church of Jesus Christ, you know, being out there for the Lord. Man, I hated that job. That's the worst job that I've ever had. I mean, the volunteer position, oh, yeah, easily the worst. Could you call your family every week, though? I could, yeah. yeah. So I was, there were far more perks in my position. Like, it's evolved a lot more. The church has finally realized that mental health is a thing they should pay attention to. Um, and they realized, okay, we should, uh, uh, we should let them do Dude, I have such a weird mindset on it. Because I was there uh, 2012 through 2014. Yeah. Dates me. But, uh, yeah, we, we, one, we didn't have cell phones. Naturally, no. We only had a landline at our house. Yeah. So, like, if we had a call for an appointment or something, we had to run back home. And we weren't allowed to have bikes because mm -hmm. they'd get stolen. Okay. So we had to walk everywhere. So, like, it sucked. But um, 
Yeah, we only got a call home twice a year, Mother's Day and Christmas. Mm-hmm. And so, like, when they changed it, uh, I remember it was like, oh, these missionaries are all pussies. <laughs> <laughs> what a bunch of whannies. Like, these bitch-ass missionaries. <laughs> like, they don't know what it's like to serve the Lord. Have you, have you seen the missionary TikToks? Try on tribulate. No. Dude. Missionaries are on TikTok now. They are? I knew that. I mean, they they got a Facebook presence. Do, doing the dances. Doing the dances. Trying to convert people. Through. Wow. I mean, that's that's what people are watching now. You have to communicate and, to their medium. Uh, <laughs> Dude, if I was a missionary now and they were trying to get me to participate in a TikTok dance, I'd go home. So are be... some of these missionaries like involving some of the people they're teaching in their TikTok dances? Or they're just... No, it's like them and their companion. Just like... Just doing a dance. Dude, just doing like... Part um, of weekly planning. They're like working on their choreography. <laughs> like Performing WAP while they recite. <laughs> and I, Nephi, said unto my father, I will go and do the things. And ah, I can... Uh, actually, that has, a, that has a nice flavor to it. <laughs> yeah. No, I... Uh, I... I mean... I'm in the church. I go to, we go every yeah. Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you don't but, do comedy, but you go to church. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I don't do comedy, but I go to church. Um, but I, uh, I do think, you know, these kids are out there wanting to serve the Lord, but it's incredibly gay. It's <laughs> what they're doing. Like, it's, uh, if they're wanting. To get kids to not be gay, which I think is the church. That seems to be the church's goal, yes. I think doing choreography and TikToks is a bad way to go about it. You think so? Yeah. You think think that's the wrong route? I think there's a joke in there somewhere. There's there's (laughs) certainly a joke in there, right? I mean, mean, you know, God can't come until we say his name. So (laughs) that's that's what we're all waiting for here. Um, Until once once the whole world can say his name, then then he'll come, but... Uh, so maybe it is just uh, it's a it's a beautiful orgy of religious ecstasy. That's what the mission experience is. So uh, yeah, what's your favorite job? So my favorite job is uh, I loved uh, several years ago, uh, five years ago. I was a tour guide at a nuclear reactor, um, and that was a lot of fun. I I loved that. Wow. Um, it was in the middle of the Idaho desert. It's called the Experimental Breeder Reactor. So it's no longer operating. It was a research reactor. Mm-hmm. Um, only did, like, tests. Uh, the point of the reactor was to actually breed plutonium. Um, and so it was a uranium core. And uh, just the conditions and the uh, geometry of the core were set so that it would create plutonium. So it actually created more fuel than it burned through, which is miraculous, really cool, sexy stuff. Um, everything had been cleaned out, though, and it was just, uh, it was a national monument. So people could come through for free, um, and I was technically a government employee who staffed and would give people tours. Um, and I, a lot of, I met a lot of fun folks, uh, got good tips on occasion, wasn't really supposed to take those, but, you know, some people insisted, and uh, I really just enjoyed it, met a lot of great people. I got a involve both my showmanship um because it is very much okay you're dealing with a crowd of people you have to keep them entertained but also the research side because i really enjoyed doing research um and then teaching the science um and teach teaching the history science and politics behind the plant uh, but doing it in a fun way and that's what i really enjoyed so this was like well before i ever started stand-up but i always knew that i enjoyed being in front of people talking to people um and entertaining people that's pretty cool yeah I could see how that could segue into comedy. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, the greatest, uh, I think my favorite group, uh, I met a lot of, there were not a lot of young people who came through. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but most of them were retired, so my my typical demographic was 65 and older. I learned to really bond with those folks superbly Did you well. ask them if they were horny? I asked them, like, Wendy, are you horny? All of their spouses were dead, so... <laughs> I, I should have learned then, uh, but we had, uh, my, my favorite group was when um, there was this retired tour bus, <laughs> these groups that took retirees um, and took them around the state of Idaho, uh-huh. uh, and one of the stops was the uh, nuclear reactor, and oh boy, oh, we had so much fun together, Drew, <laughs> oh, we were just laughing and hooting and hollering, guffaws and chuckles and turtles out the wazoo, it was a good time, we, uh, you know, we, we really built a relationship, and I'm like, mm, I want to do this more often. So I think experiences like that push me closer to comedy. Stand-up, at least. Because I was already doing skits. and whatnot. Yeah. So what's the worst thing you've done while on the job? So, hmm, this is a fun podcast. Uh, <laughs> the worst thing I have done on the job. That's hard. Well, I, I've never done anything illegal, I don't think. And I'm, I'm kind of a I'm kind of a clean guest here, Drew. It's, I'm a I'm a little bit of a different flavor. I've, yeah, no, I've had crazy answers. I've had very boring ones. Yeah, I've had people say like I've done really nothing. To I, you listen to the Four Corners episode. Uh, Will straight up like yeah we stole our coworkers prescribed medicine, uh-huh. uh, crunched it up and snorted it <laughs> like that is a, while on the job and then started driving forklifts around while high. That is that, that's pretty <laughs> awful. That's a, that's a pretty bad thing to do on the job. Yeah no I have uh, no drugs uh, no substance use on the job. Um, I think just, I tend to do embarrassing things. I do, uh, like right now I'm a personal assistant for a historian. Uh Um, and that's a lot of fun. I mean, I just Is that what you were doing when you were here? Yeah. So yeah, I just do that remotely and I've taken that to grad school so I can, I can have at least some income. Um, that's a fun job. It doesn't really allow itself to do anything super crazy while I'm on the job. We do some cool things, Mm -hmm. but I'd work remotely so I can kind of just do things at home, um, as usual. Uh, but I think the worst thing is still the like going back to the uh, nanoparticle job back when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I just uh, it's it's not bad, not illegal. It was just very embarrassing for me, um, and I ended up becoming uh, mocked throughout the lab for pretty much the rest of my time while I was there. Um, where I, you have to give a presentation uh-huh. uh, about your research every couple of months, and I thought it would be funny. Um, I was just like 16 at the time that uh, I would give my presentation but I would theme it up like uh, I would treat everyone like they were an audience at the Nobel Peace Prize and say like ah oh, I have won a Nobel Peace like I made it all themed mm-hmm. and, like I have won the Nobel thank you for coming to my Nobel Peace Prize talk I thought it'd be funny um, and they all hated it. They just, they, uh, I remember Dr. Pock, he was my research advisor. Dr. Like, Pock. Dr. Pock. Uh, he's like, what the hell is this? What are you doing? Uh, he was, uh, he was not a fan of, of my particular flavor. Not the worst thing. He's still nice. Um, not the worst thing I've ever had, um, a research, uh, professor ever tell me. Uh, I think the worst thing, a research, uh, the worst or at least the funniest thing, my research professor has ever told me, uh, I was at a Christmas party, 
Um, it was at a physics department. It was under my <laughs> undergrad, and I, I did I did research um, throughout my undergrad. Um, and there was a professor, this old surly Polish man. Um, we'll call him Andre because that's his name. Uh, but he came up to me and he had already had several drinks. The thing about Andre is he would drink harder than anyone else at the Christmas party. And he was a professor. Um, and he came up to me, he said, Nicholas, you are a very weird person. <laughs> and I, was, he, was, wait, was this dude like from Eastern Europe? Yeah, he's from it? Poland. Yeah. <laughs> So that's that's how we talk. He came up to me. Wait, and said, did you already say that? Did I just zone out? Yeah, you might have zoned. I think you've been dissociating for the past ten <laughs> minutes. Um, so he and then I respond. I'm like, you know, Andre, I am weird, but I'm not. I, 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 you're also weird, Andre. And he and he responds, yes, I am weird, but I'm not you weird. <laughs> And to this day, I think that's the best thing a professor has uh, ever told me. That was pretty funny. Um, so you've never... I, this is a question I ask, but I, I, I already know the answer. And you, I think I'm going to eliminate this question from the podcast altogether. Because okay. by the time we get to this point, I know what the answer is. Mm-hmm. Have you ever stolen company property? I have... Uh, I don't think I have <coughs> ever stolen yeah, company no, that's property. No. Can't... Uh, <laughs> Can't say I have. Did I ever take things that weren't mine from Boston College? No, I don't think so. <laughs> oh, yeah, you went to Boston College. Why did I think you went to Boston University? Everyone does. It's all right. Boston, Boston which, University. Which one's better? Be. Boston Colleges. Of okay. course. Yeah, I think it was Jesuit. You know, it's a, oh, yeah. It's, it's a ju- private Catholic institution. I forgot it's a Jesuit school. Yeah, it's, you know, bona fide. What, in Boston University, is that... I thought that's private too. Is it's, it not? It's public. It's, it's public. Oh, it's gross. Secular. Gross. Yeah, right. Secular government <laughs> who does. I mean, no. I guess now you're going to a gross public school. I am going to a gross public school now. Yeah, <laughs> University of Michigan. We can't put Christmas trees up. Come on. Wait, really? I mean, I, well, I, it's a public. I, can, I don't think that you can really have overt Christmas as a Christian holiday. We always tend Dude, to. At my it. high schools and everything growing up, we had like overt Christmas decorations everywhere. Really? Santa yeah. would pop in. <laughs> yeah, that's a. Uh, that's fun. I think they have to... At Boston College, we had Christmas trees everywhere, but um, University of Michigan, no. They don't do... They put, like, holiday festival stuff up, but, like, Christmas like Christmas trees. Like, the, the iconography that is Christmas, Christmas trees, and anything Christian, yeah, you wouldn't see that. But yeah, at a Catholic school, it's balls out, so... I don't think there's any non-Christians that, in Spokane. Yeah. I think... Uh, <laughs> I remember there was a Center for Islam... In Spokane. Are all the Russians but, Eastern Orthodox Christians? Yes. Okay. Yes, Eastern Orthodox. You'd see those around. You'd see a few Greek Orthodox okay. churches in Spokane. Yeah. They do mass for like four hours, mm-hmm. so they That's beat a... Mormons. They, yeah, <laughs> they do. Yeah. They uh, they take it very seriously. They go hard in the paint. Uh-huh. They, <laughs> don't take it off. All right, so let's get to the meat of the good questions here Okay. as we wrap this up. This is to help me with a bit, but uh, what's the most Jewish-looking dog? The most Jewish-looking dog. Wow. Am I just... Am I helping you with jokes now? Yeah. Is this what it is? Amanda and I were playing a word game, right? Uh Uh-huh. Where we were... We would say words at one, two, three, and we'd both say a word, right? Yeah. And she said puppies, and I said holocaust. 
And I want to do a bit about the puppy holocaust and how cute it was. And it, and I, and it has inspired you. That's about, almost like a joke. I've, I wanted to do a joke about a puppy 9-11. Like, I have this bit about where I just start. I'm like, I like fireworks because I love scaring dogs. That's, that's how the joke begins. And it's about just inflicting trauma on dogs. Because people, people want to treat their dogs like other people. And yeah, I hate that. I, I did that once where... Uh, I sitting on stage, my dog freaks out when there's thunder, uh-huh. and he, he'll like hide under the couch. And uh, instead of like comforting him, I say to him that that's God, and He's coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. You have to instill instill the fear of God into Bear. You make him uh, make him a religious zealot. There's a word for that. There's a scrupulosity. It's OCD when it comes to religion. That you just become terrified and obsessive and compulsive about. You know, anything that you do, then you will be damned. So I hope that bear just comes out with debilitating <laughs> trauma from his experience. He already gets upset when it looks like you beat your wife. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, uh, I don't know, because we got German Shepherd puppies. Are they going to be the Gestapo? Yeah, but who okay. are they throwing into the gas chamber? Well, you've got, uh, you've got a huge selection, I, honestly. I don't know. I mean, because I mean, it wasn't Pugs? just Jews in there. <laughs> I mean, if you're if you were interviewing RJ, then maybe um, he, uh, he does Well, defend it. Why? Why pugs? Well, they seem to have a lot of health issues. Okay. And sometimes, I don't know if you've been around the Jewish community, but... Maybe <laughs> more so in Boston than in Utah. Have you spent any time with the Jewish community? Yeah, with all the comedians at Skankfest. Okay. <laughs> That's probably the most I've been... Okay, yeah. around comedians. They, they make a, It's a great... There's a great Jewish community within the comedians. Within the com- comedy the most community. Com- like most of the greatest comedians, yeah. They do tend yeah. to be Jewish, yeah. Lots of Jews. A lot of Jews. Mm, and a lot of Mormons. Not a lot of Mormons. Not There's a lot. only like... Uh, Ryan Hamilton. I think that's it. Yeah, I think... Uh, Anyone else? I, I think we've closed the book. Aaron Woodall is kind of successful. Okay. But that guy's like very ex-Mormon now. Yeah. And he did a whole podcast about that. Well, uh, see, there's a... There's a there's an entryway for people like us. Yeah. Yeah, there is a I think the world is asking for kind of active and ex-Mormons in their comedy <laughs> scenes and we can fill that void. <laughs> no, but there is definitely space for us in the comedy world. Yeah, I think uh, so. There, it's a unique voice. The problem is you know why there's not a lot of like Mormons or ex-Mormons. Um, most Mormons and ex-Mormons are incredibly unfunny. Mm-hmm. The vast majority. That's, um, that is, these are the issues. It's a universal truth, uh-huh. I, which is why I don't always kill in Provo, because yeah. <laughs> I know what's funny. They don't. They, 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 they just don't, yeah. They are the problem. It's the crowd. It's not me. Yeah. If we could get, like, an, an active Mormon, that guy would kill. If we could get them involved. But unfortunately, people like us, like, this, the cards are stacked against us, Drew. Yeah, the silliness is what... The silliness is what does it. It's what they want. Well, I've heard you talk about Provo Comics before, and how you just get, like, you just, like, oh, it's like every ex, like, everyone just makes ex-Mormon jokes here. Yeah. No, and I, I think it's hack. Mm-hmm. They, uh... I mean, I have some of these people, I like them, but they do jokes where they use words, mm-hmm. like Relief Society of President. Yes. Quorum uh, of the Twelve. Words that, if you take it outside of Utah, they have no clue what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So, how about don't? Like, yeah. 
And I'm not I'm not against Mormon jokes. When I started stand up, my act was all Mormon jokes because right. I was the only Mormon they had ever met in Spokane. And I think that's great. Yeah, it's like if you can like if you can speak their language, like you just refer to them as Mormons. You don't get lost in the jargon. I mean, yeah. if you just want to do comedy here in Provo and want to make jokes about the church, there's your opportunity. The, and the jokes I did in Spokane probably wouldn't do well here. Yeah, I don't uh, think they would. But I they think, did well in Spokane. Yeah. Um, they, but if it you was did jokes them at a about comedy club in Provo. The comedy club would get but shut down. They were such lame jokes, like. It was like, my girlfriend found out I don't have a bike. And uh-huh. she was like, wait, how do you get to church? Yeah. <laughs> like, just like dumb jokes like that. That's Drew at his genesis. <laughs> like, yeah. It's kind of adorable. Like, it's an adorable but joke. But that's a, that's a joke that outside of Utah, they're like, yeah, Mormons ride bikes. Yeah. Like, but I think you could do that here and people, like, might not get it. Yeah. Like, they don't understand that that's such a stereotype for Mormons outside mm-hmm. of Utah. Is it really? Oh, dude, bikes. And bikes. I remember Halloween kids dressed up at my high school. As missionaries? As missionaries wore the bike helmets. Yeah. And you, the bike helmets had, like, if you see BYU plays another team at any sport, you'll see someone in their student section dressed in a white shirt and tie. Yeah. And they always have the bike helmet mm-hmm. because that's such a stereotype outside of Utah. Mormons okay. are on bikes. Good to know. So it, it did well. Were you uh, on bikes in Nebraska? I was, yeah. <laughs> I was on a, yeah, I, I, uh, there was a time where I was uh, on bikes. It was a good time. I enjoyed my bike service very much so. But yeah, we, uh, you know us Mormons riding bikes and drinking milk. So, what's the most Jewy dog, though? Mm, I'm glad that you keep coming back to this Well, I need help with this premise. Uh, Okay, so the premise is, ah, wouldn't it be funny if there was a holocaust, uh, there was a dog holocaust? Yeah. Okay. I also, I did a bit recently about if you had a time machine, would you kill baby Hitler? Uh And that was a question I've been asking on this podcast. The best answer I got was from Quinn. And what did Quinn say? He said no, because I wouldn't be able to watch Schindler's List. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and what a great movie it is. It was a great answer. Yeah, <laughs> it's, a great... it's a very good answer. And then he's like, uh, both directed uh, Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, directed by Steven Spielberg. Exactly. And then Quinn's like, and I think they're connected. Yes. Somehow. They're both about camps. The, uh, without the Holocaust, <laughs> we would not have the trauma that made Steven Spielberg the director he is today. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 yeah, I did a bit though. If I went back in time, I would just bully, uh, young Hitler in school. That's yeah. what I would do. I want to kill him. You don't think just... so? I always, I'm always surprised that the question is, why would you go back in time and kill baby Hitler? I think it would be way easier to go back in time and kill juvenile or, um, teenage Hitler. Yeah. Like what a... Why does he have to be a baby? He does not have to be a baby. He's equally vulnerable and unpleasant. I did a whole bit about how I would give, like, nine-year-old Hitler a swirly. Yeah. (laughs) See, you just go back and inflict punishment. And then I'm like, you Nazi piece of shit. And he's like, I don't know what a Nazi is. (laughs) (laughs) Who are you? I'm a Mormon. Just change his mind about who he targets. Oh, that's a good line. Um, I... I had said uh, right before I transport back to the future, like, uh-huh. by the way, I'm Jewish. And then I get back to the future, and I'm like, oh, man, he killed 12 million. Oh, <laughs> no. Oh, shit. Oh, you did it worse, Drew. Yeah, he just amped it up. <laughs> That's why you have to change his mind. <laughs> yeah, so I I did a bit where I just accidentally make the Holocaust worse. Okay. Um, but How did that do? It did very well. I've only tried it twice. It's a okay. brand new premise. Brand yeah. new. 
Uh, the first time I tried it, killed. Uh-huh. I was like, I think where'd I might you do it? Um, at an open mic in Salt Lake at the brewery called okay. Shades, and they had a pretty good crowd. Um, I don't know where I tried it again. I tried it at another open mic. May have been in Provo. I think I tried it at Improv Broadway. Bombed. They yeah. did not. They're on young Hitler's side. Yeah. They, I think I think Provo is pro-Hitler. They, That's what they I, sympathize <laughs> with the young Hitler's play. They, well, I mean, you know, he's uh, if you if you dunked him when he was, you know, before eight, then that's before the age of accountability. Yeah. He's not responsible They're for those crimes. Real fans of the fear in yeah. uh, Provo. <laughs> you know, Provo, Provo really hauls out. It's a White Lives Matter every, every Christmas. Oh, man. So, Pugs? Pug be a good one? Pugs? Or, I don't know. I'm not really seeing Pugs. Yeah. They don't look like they could control the weather. They, uh... <laughs> I think, um... You know, I feel like there are a number of... All right. Let's, let's consider. So German shepherds are already in your hierarchy. I mean, it wasn't just the Jews also in the concentration camps. I know, but it was the majority. You need, yeah, you know, the, that, that's who everyone knows. They forget that it was Well, it's because they complain the most about yeah, it. The, <laughs> you know, we, we, we never give credit, credit to the Romas or right. to, the, uh, ah, to the homosexuals <laughs> who are there. No, they didn't complain. You know, just... <laughs> It's, yeah, a, like, it's part of the identity. They're like, it's so hot here. I'm spitzing. Like, <laughs> this is a this is such a fun podcast. Um, ah, <laughs> uh, let's see. Mm, what was that? That was Amanda. Okay, she just messaged me. Does Amanda have an answer for this question? I, no, she does not. I've talked to her about okay. it. Okay, it's hard. So you're at Pugs, but I don't think Pugs is good. I think that's hard. See, I think this is a hard joke. I think it's hard. I think German shepherds are easy. Um, is there such a thing as... I feel like there's such a thing as like an Israeli hound dog. An Israeli hound dog. Yeah. Hmm. Israel's got a breed, right? I don't think so. All right. I mean, I think we can look this up. Okay. I gotta turn the sound off so it doesn't pop up. I did another podcast where Amanda just started texting me like twenty messages. My laptop was just going crazy, uh-huh. and that's, I could uh, I could not hide that from the audio. Okay, so Israel has a national dog. Really, it is the Canaan dog. What does this look like? So it um. Uh, I don't know. Describe what you're seeing. I don't know dog breeds very well, so if you could I, I illustrate this for your that. listeners, uh, for everyone at home, uh, especially those at Germany, if you could look into the Canaan dog breed here. You know they've got a they've got a swirly tail. Um, the oldest breed of pariah dog still existing and abundant across the Middle East. Uh, I feel I don't know. It feels like it would be inappropriate. I mean, Canaan. That's clearly in, in, like Canaanites and. You know, yeah. they weren't very friendly well, I, I don't... With the Israelites and throughout uh, the, the Bible. I'm yeah. I think I, for this joke, though, to work, I'm going to have to make a joke about how I decided what dog was the most Jewish-looking dog. Clearly. Have you considered poodles? I have considered poodles. You have considered poodles. But I think they're more, like, French. They're more French. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really see bears super Frenchy. But... No, no, not toy poodles. Not maybe toy I could poodles. do toy poodles. Okay, but maybe I, toy poodles. I, but some people may think I'm talking about toys and not real poodles. Yeah, I mean, the idiots over here. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, 
It's a hard question, Drew. It's a hard question to want to answer publicly. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I gave way harder questions to Ryan because Ryan books shows. Yeah. So I like did questions like specifically to like kind of sabotage that. Where yeah. I was like, so Ryan, why are women not funny? Uh-huh. <laughs> and he's like, I don't agree with that at oh, all. Oh, great. No. I mean, he books a lot of women, so, <laughs> so he, he can't be in that position. He didn't, he didn't roll with the punches. Uh-huh. Uh, that's why I had fun with Dennis. He was on. Yeah. Uh, the last episode I put up was with Dennis, and everything I said, he just rolled with the punches. Like, yeah. he just leaned into it even more. Uh-huh. Like, I asked him, which was the question I was going to ask you, are you still listening to Kanye? Uh-huh. And Dennis, without skipping a beat, he's like, I've been listening to more Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> I've stepped it up. <laughs> I actually didn't listen to Kanye, and then he came out with some, you know, pretty inspirational things. I don't listen to Kanye's music, I listen to Kanye's speeches. <laughs> Those are my morning affirmations. Dude, uh, Michael Meehan came up to me in Broadway and was like, mm-hmm. after Kanye like went on Alex Jones's show, did you hear about that? He went on Alex Jones' show? Yeah. And um, then he started talking about how Hitler's together. awesome. Yeah. And Alex Jones was like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Hitler's a bad dude. <laughs> and Kanye was like, no, Hitler was awesome. Uh-huh. He said Hitler was awesome like ten times. And Alex was like, no, he was a bad dude. He like, he killed people. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, if you're making Alex Jones uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, then you, uh, then I think you've won. So... That's a that's that's just Godzilla versus King Kong that, that matchup right there. Real clash of the titans. Real clash of the titans. My my icons right there <laughs> together again, fisticuffs. So um, that was fun, mm-hmm. and uh, what was I gonna say? I was gonna say something commenting on that with him on Alex Jones's show, but. Yeah, that's uh, that's the speeches he's been given. He was okay. saying literally Hitler was awesome. Yeah, did, <laughs> did like, he say those words? Hitler yeah, was awesome? he was like, you know, we focus way too much on the bad yeah. of Hitler. <laughs> uh-huh. And we're overlooking. I mean, I was told this once. Um, he was a vegan. Yeah, he I've was, heard He things. was very nice to Ava Braun. Mm, yeah. Very nice. Yeah, I heard I mean, they were tra- family. So. I heard really. Yeah, yeah. Ava Braun and Hitler were cousins. Hot. I'm pretty um. sure. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that, there's probably a porn of that somewhere. And then uh, Winston Churchill, on the other hand, drunk, drunk, beat his wife. Did he really? Yeah. Wow. So frequently drunk, frequently <laughs> intoxicated, notorious imperialist. Actually, yeah. yeah he did not. Kind of racist sentiments, if you ask me. Yeah. <laughs> comparatively, so, are you comparatively, saying Hitler was the progressive leader? He may have been a little more progressive. Yeah, I mean, he had a vision for Germany. Um, that wasn't about, you know, an empire. It was about, you know... A, a home for the white a race. A socialist, yes. <laughs> a socialist federation. Oh man! So you still you you don't listen to Kanye? Oh. Uh, the, so the first time I ever listened to Kanye was on my mission. Really? Yeah, missionaries love Kanye. Really? Oh, they are so Dude, into Kanye. I bet they love him even more. Oh now. yeah, exactly. They're just like this, Kanye is the voice of a trodden people, and the trodden people are the Mormons. Really? Dude, yeah. The like unauthorized music that moved around my mission was uh, Jack Johnson. Jack Johnson. Yeah. yeah. No, Kanye came out with a whole gospel album. Oh yeah, yeah. I think was yeah. that approved? Uh, not really. Uh, but you know, Kanye. I feel like Kanye and 
Mel Gibson probably have a lot in common. <laughs> like, just the more Christian they become, they just, you know, they really uh, just become also more and more anti-Semitic. Is the more Christian material that they get. You know, Kanye and... Uh, I think Kanye and Mel Gibson should go into business together. and They should uh, produce a musical together. I think they should. I, uh, about, um, I don't know what it would be about. Something beautiful, though. Maybe Scottish. Uh, yeah. I don't... I don't have anything for that. There, uh, there's a comedian doing a joke about how they're making a musical about the Titanic. Ooh. Yeah, and... He, Understated. He's saying... The punchline was they should do that about, like, every tragedy. He's like, I can't wait for 9-11, the musical. 9-11. <laughs> called Crashing. Called. Uh, Crashing, that's a good show. Have you seen that? Crashing is a good show with Pete Holmes. Yeah, you saw that? Yeah, I've seen some of it. I've yeah. seen, uh, I think, the first two seasons. There's only first two. They canceled, there are three. They can't, oh, there's three? Yeah, there are three. Yeah, I, I thought they canceled the show after the second. No, yeah, they, they did three. after the three. You're right. So. It, and I didn't get why they did. It was really good. Mm-hmm. And it kind of left on a cliff note. Does it really? A yeah. cliff note. Like, he, a little, uh, uh, like a little asterisk that you go he back He ends to. up, the last episode of season three, he opens for John Mulaney at a theater. Yeah. And I've like, seen clips of that. And it's like, oh, he's making it. Uh-huh. And, and he just makes fun of John Mulaney. Yeah, he does time. make fun John of Mulaney John Mulaney. Doesn't, he's, not, he's not thrilled with that. <laughs> no. Man. I'm still stuck on the idea that we could have a, a 9-11 musical. I think there should be a whole number dedicated to Bush did 9-11. I would, uh, I would, I would watch the hell oh. out of a 9-11 well, musical. Oh, speaking of, you know, the doggy holocaust, uh-huh. um, have you ever seen the song Kitty History by Trevor Moore? Yes, I have. have. I love Trevor Moore. Rip, but yeah. Dude, I will bond on that. I Trevor Moore might be one of my favorite. Uh-huh. People. You know he died. I did know. Yeah, you know the CIA yeah, killed rest him. Rest in peace. What killed him? The CIA. Yeah, the CIA. Of course they did. I mean, I've seen the things. You can't kill. You cannot say. <laughs> when he... I will say this. When I put on my tinfoil hat, mm-hmm. I do think that. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> here's... Let, let me say this. Um... When he died, yeah. they just announced he died in an accident, and they didn't say how he died. No, they did not. And it didn't come out publicly until, like, nine months after his death, how mm-hmm. he died. And he fell off his balcony. Yeah. Come on. They found him dead on his lawn, didn't they? Well, after he fell off his balcony. After they fell off his balcony. Yeah, yeah that's some pretty... Uh, pretty suspicious. Yeah, it's a little... Uh, the CIA should be a little better than that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it seems like they've gotten away with a lot. So all they had to do was push. Yeah, I love uh, Kitty History, though. Mm-hmm. I get that song in my head all the time. Like, I woke up today. And, and you had Kitty History. Yeah, I told head. Amanda, I was like, Little Kitty JFK was killed by Kitty Lyndon Johnson and the CIA. <laughs> he knew too much. Yeah. They had to take him out. There's a little kitty whose career got a push. A kitty named George H. W. Bush. Bush. Yeah, I know the whole. I know the whole. Song. You know the whole song. Yeah, there you go. I don't know any of the lyrics. Kitty history. It's just like ours. <laughs> <laughs> so when he says kitty, is it K I D D I E or K I? Oh, have you seen the music video? No, I haven't seen the music video. I'll have to show you the video. Are they the video? cats? Yeah. Okay, so it's, it's kitties. Okay, yeah. Not, all right. Got it's it. Amazing. I was just like little children hurting each other. <laughs> no, no. Uh, it's a great song. Um, oh yeah, so I was going to say, Michael Meehan came up to me in Pro Broadway, and he was mm-hmm. like, Drew, you should do a joke about how Kanye is the first black person you've ever liked. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I appreciate 
the premise idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, I don't think that's, it's like the roast Quinn did of you. He's like, you know, it's surprising. You, you seem like you'd be transphobic, um, but you respect pronouns because you call black people them. <laughs> Oh, I laughed so hard. That was a great roast. That was a Wait, very did you good see roast. all the jokes from that roast? I haven't seen all the jokes. I've seen like bits that Ryan posted, but Oh, dude. I'll have we'll have to nerd out on that. All right. Well, we're going to end on last question here. All right, I ask this question. one. I'll this is the last one. one for everyone. Okay. Uh, if there is a country you could wipe off the face of the earth with a nuke, which country is it? With a nuke. Mm. Oh yeah, and you are. I am. A, I'm a nuclear engineer. That's right. I'm actually. Uh, I'm actually studying safeguards. So how how do we actually protect? Let's make it not safe. Our nuclear material. Um, for one country, let's make it incredibly not for safe. For one country, I fantasized about blowing up certain states within the USA, <laughs> but a country um, is a. That's a. That's a beautiful question. Um, probably something third world. Uh, is what I'm thinking. Something that Just can't put them out of their misery. Yeah, something that could not retaliate. Uh, <laughs> honestly, although I am attracted to. Uh... <laughs> Why don't we just go all in and say Israel? <laughs> <laughs> they, you know, <laughs> the British can take and the British can give it away. Israel was only a country within the past, you know, several decades. It's a new country. It is a new country. I would say, you know, they've got... They have a lot to figure out, honestly. There are a lot of border disputes, and maybe if there was nobody there, we could resolve... I think the uh, apartheid state in Israel is pretty cool, actually. <laughs> I, I'm pro what they're doing to the Palestinians. I am, yeah. It's well, fun. It's <laughs> I think... <laughs> I would like to get Kanye's opinion on on how to resolve the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Yeah, I think he might be pro-Arab, and that's... How does, uh, how does anti-Semitism translate to other forms of xenophobia, I wonder? <laughs> I don't know. I, I think uh, all those people... If you are xenophobic, and you really, really, like, were pro all the Bush Wars mm-hmm. and stuff, um, but you also are anti-Semitic... That's a real conundrum when it you're is. looking at this, right? Well, Kanye's not a Bush fan. We know that. No. Bush doesn't, Bush like, doesn't like black... That's what Kanye said. Bush, yeah. doesn't, uh, Bush doesn't care about black people. Yeah, no, um, Trump was the real OG. Yeah, Trump was the real OG. So he's pro-Trump. Um, Trump's pretty pro-Israel at some times. I mean, well, he's pro-Netanyahu. Um, this that guy's such a, a Yahoo. That's just ah, <laughs> 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 what a joke, uh, this guy. Uh, see, you are you do have goofy jokes. You can thrive here in Utah. You, you're so Dude, silly. Ama- Amanda's rubbed off on me too yeah. much. <laughs> Amanda is a silly person. She's got some silly. She's jokes. very silly. So, what other countries have people said? So, I given Tanner shit. He said uh, Italy. And uh-huh. I think he redacted that on the Four Corners episode. Yeah, because uh, I kept making fun of it. Um, I said India because I simply googled what country has the most pedophiles per capita, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it came up with India. See, I don't know who's doing the studies. You weren't <laughs> able to do research beforehand. I feel so like this is such a cold selection here. That well, I'm I, I, out. I didn't do it beforehand. That was on the spot. Okay. Live on the episode, I googled. You googled. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you have a metric. Here. Yeah, um, some people have just picked. I mean, uh, I think 
Dennis picked uh, Niger because it's one letter away from being fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> wow, I love Dennis. <laughs> uh, Andres was the lamest. He picked... Uh, you know Andres Herrera? Yeah, I know it's Andres. He picked North Korea because okay. they're bad. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, see, there you go. Israel could, uh, though, retaliate. That's a good point. Israel does have nuclear weapons. They're like, they're the ones, I think I'm upset with Israel because... Yeah, but let's nuke them good so they can't retaliate. Yeah, everyone knows they have nuclear weapons, but they're being super cheeky about it. They're very coy. They're like, hmm, no. They're like, it's a strip tease when it comes to nuclear. I bet they paid half off for them. They paid half <laughs> off. Uh, He's doing it again. Oh, it's classic Drew. A classic Drew here. Still finding an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, classic. Woo. Let's give him a high five sound. I don't know. That wasn't crisp. That wasn't clear. That took me a minute. So your vote's Israel? I think uh, I think I'm locking down on let's go. Let's go all the way. Let's uh if we're gonna nuke a country, um, then uh, if there's any if there's any country with geopolitical s- status that just annoys me on the daily, then I think it's Israel. So all right. let's go ahead and <laughs> let's let's do a clean slate. Alright. Israel is gone. I think if, if I think I'm gonna get a map of every country that someone picks on this mm-hmm. podcast and erase that country on yeah. the map. Uh, so then we limit. Yeah, there you go. You can't pick any of these. <laughs> I think a country that is uh, supposedly um, disputed across three of the world's largest religions. Um, it's like you know when you have these bickering children um, that are fighting over a toy. What do you do? You destroy the toy. <laughs> I think that's why we got to take out Israel. You know, if everyone wants it but can't play nice, then we then we take it away. Well, there we have it. Let's nuke Israel. And we will end it on that note. You're fired.